Hi, Jamie. Welcome to West Coast Project and 503 of the Americans. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing a-okay, man. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How'd you like well, this episode? Um, I liked it. Um, actually was just writing about this episode. <laughs> um, I, I feel like... Um, like the writers did a really great job and everybody who contributes to the show did a great job of really making you feel the pressure that everybody's under. What do you think? Well, how so? What, what do you mean by that pressure? Well, I mean, it just felt to me like I could, you know, for the first time really this season, I could feel the pressure that Paige must be feeling and trying to keep this secret. And I could feel the pressure that, um, like for example, the, the, the lab director um, was feeling because he was, you know, frightened kind of, you know, out of his mind, you know, being confronted by these strangers who didn't know, who gave him no answers and only had questions for him. and. Um, you know, the pressure that Elizabeth and Philip were under in trying to pursue an answer, you know, they, they had just complained about saying, you know, they, they, they have to look, you know, for, and, and gather, you know, information, but it's so hard to find answers. I don't know. It was, I thought it was great. And, so more know, like tension than pressure, like the, the tension that's building up by people that are about to get whatever, their necks napped or their secret uncovered. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. But it's, um, it's, uh, I, you know, when I wrote about it, I wrote about it on um, Wish I Said That Shit. And um, I was, I was saying that, um, I said the Americans is doing a spectacular job of suffocating the audience with the pressure of being a liar. Because, you know, when you're on the spot and you have to come up with something, which seems like, you know, so many people in this episode were kind of in a position like that where somebody's asking them for an answer. And so you're right. It's probably tension more than anything. It's kind of, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm on the spot and what do I do? It was great. I thought the writing was brilliant. I thought the story construction was brilliant. Because, you know, the idea of the midges being these pests, and there were so many people in the episode who seemed like uninvited guests. Well, Jamie, I got some stuff I'm going to wish I would have said. (laughs) (laughs) Some shit I wish I would have said if I don't say it now. Before we do the recap. So I did some research, Jamie. I did some research. And I checked out this mileage thing from St. Louis to D.C., uh-huh. I'm calling it St. Louis, St. Clair County. It's like right next to St. Louis. It's 819 miles. But, okay, so here's the deal. Uh-huh. Wikipedia says it's 12 hours or 819 miles. But I would like to know, Jamie, how the hell anyone can drive 819 miles in 12 hours. Because if you drive 100 miles an hour, that's eight hours? hours. 12, 12 hours. 
Remember we went back and uh-huh. forth. Oh, it's only 12 hours, only 16 hours, only 18 hours. You cannot drive 800 miles in 12 hours. Um, it's hard to average 50 miles an hour, which would be 16 hours. You got to stop for gas. You got to stop for Mountain Dews and snacks. You got to go to the bathroom. You can't average that fast. Well, I don't know, man, because I've I've made it's like I told you, like that trip that I used to make between Atlanta and Michigan was about 12 hours. And that was with stops and everything included. All right, Jamie. So I got a little criticism for you. Can you take it? I can. That's totally okay. I apologize to all the women listening to our podcast, but that's totally a chick uh, analogy of distance. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because Atlanta to Michigan is not a good representation of D.C. to St. Louis. Atlanta to Michigan is basically a north-south venture. We weren't talking about, we weren't talking about D.C. to St. Louis. We were talking about D.C. to Illinois. Yeah, St. Louis. It's, it's, St. Clair County is essentially St. Louis. It, it stops at the Missouri border. St. Louis is on the river. It's right there. That's that's where they are. Okay. But um, anyway, it's it's hard to go 800 miles in 12 hours. I don't think anyone can do it. That's what Wikipedia says, though. It's, it's 12 hours, 819 miles. So, But I think we learned from this episode that they are driving it. All we see is the pickup truck rolling when they go to Oklahoma. Okay. What's wrong? I don't know, man. No, I, I just, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what your math was. I don't know. We live, like, I, I don't know. I've had, I actually, now I want to look up the distance between, like, Atlanta and Michigan, because I don't remember what the miles were, but I know how long it took to drive it. I yeah, but know. it's not, it's not, it's not an accurate, it's not, a, it's not the same route as Washington to D.C. as Washington to St. Louis. Atlanta no, to Michigan is north-south. Washington and St. Louis are east-west. Almost exactly yeah. east-west. Okay. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I've driven from east to west. I've driven from Atlanta to Louisiana. And it takes about 12 hours from... Uh, like the center of Atlanta to get to like Lafayette, Louisiana. It's about 12 hours and that's with stops and everything included. Yeah. But um, how many miles speeding, is that? Not, um, I don't know. It's like 700 something. Let's see. Well, that's the critic. That's my whole point. That's the critical factor. It's like, it seems like Atlanta to Michigan is the same, or it seems like Atlanta to New Orleans. It's, it's not, it's like, you got to go by mileage and time. I think you got to figure you got to figure almost 2 hours. I would say 6 like 2 hours per 100 miles. 16 hours for 800 miles. Well, I mean that depends on how fast you're driving cuz some people don't drive 50. Some people drive 65 and they only stop for gas and, you know, to stretch their legs. That's what my family does. 
Well, that's what I do too. But you still you, to go eight. To, I mean, I don't even have the calculator out. But to go that fast for that long, you only average. If you stop for gas for ten minutes, it cuts your mileage weight. It cuts your time way down. So this is it's five hundred eighty miles from Atlanta, Georgia to Lafayette, Louisiana. And it takes eight hours and 20 minutes to go almost 600 miles. Yeah, see, that's how do you go 600 miles in five hours? That's 100 miles an hour. Well, no, it's, it's eight hours and 20 minutes to go 590 miles, so almost 600. I'm just telling you that's what they say on here. And, you know, if you're on the highway and you're going like 65 miles an hour, right? Okay, if you go 70 miles an hour straight for eight hours, that's 560 miles. That's no stops. That's just barreling ahead at 70 miles an hour. If you don't, if you stop for gas, you slow down, you, t- you know, you turn, you, t- you know, you don't go 70 the whole time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think, you, I think my point, we're be, I'm belaboring it here, but you can't, you can't average that type of speed for that long. You, you, it seems fast. You go, you know, I'm going 80 miles an hour sometimes, but you also you stop. And so you don't average 80, you average maybe 60 or 50. So 12 hours times 50 or 60 is 720 miles, not 800. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just come kind of picking on that because I drive a lot. I like to drive and I know you can't go that far in short of a time without stopping. And no car goes 800 miles without stopping. Well, I'm with you, man. I got you. And, and I will take your word on it. I, I know like what I used to travel and how long it took, but I've never driven specifically from DC to St. Louis. And I gotta say, I mean, a trip normally, even for like a person who drives, it always ends up taking longer than the map estimates. Yeah, and there's always traffic and whatever, you know. You yep. don't live in a big open drag race of a drag strip interstate system. There's always cars in the way. You always stop for stuff. So you don't average 80, you know. You don't aver- You can't just divide it by the hours. That's true. Anyway, so Jamie had a few people ask about the music on our last podcast that I put in on the bumper music. I put in this cool song by a band called Wishbone Ash. Yeah, it was nice. I don't know if you heard it or not, but it's a cool old song. It's it's called Blowin' Free. And there's only one thing wrong with it is that whenever I think of that song, I think of it's about here's the the song's about a girl with golden brown hair, hair blown free like a cornfield, but I always think of it as a wheat field, so that's why I put it in there cuz I think of wheat. I thought of wheat, thought of that song. That's pretty cool. I liked it. I really I noticed it and I really enjoyed it and I meant to text you actually during the week and ask you about it, and then I, of course I got so busy. A couple of people asked about it. Yeah, it is, it's really it's like I think a '70s song from an old rock band called Wishbone Ash. And Jamie, we had another cool song this episode, although I can't figure out for the life of me why it was in there. The Roxy Music song. Um, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it was in there, but I looked at the lyrics and I thought the lyrics were really great. Um, you know, and that could have been the reason why it was in there. That's a great song. I really like it. And, you know, the title of the song is more than this lyrics. Um, is that right? More than this. 
more than this, more than this. Um, so, um, I, I loved it. I thought it was really poetic sounding and I had on the, um, the closed captioning in that part of the episode. And it was just great to watch the lyrics kind of drifting up onto the screen. And, um, it talks about, you know, it says, um, more than this, there is nothing more than this. Tell me one thing more than this. There is nothing. And then, you know, it's like, it's, it was fun for a while. There was no way of knowing, uh, like dream in the night who can say where we're going. And it just sounds so, you know, like, kind of like where they are, which is, they don't know things are out of control. You know, it's just, I don't know. And I, I like that song for a couple of reasons. And one of them is that the lyrics are pretty deep, but the song sounds kind of cheerful. You know? I think this song's kind of melancholy. <laughs> it's funny, but I, I just love what this show reminds me of. All the stuff, all the stuff of what's connected to the music and the people and their emotions and stuff. Like I thought of when I heard this song, I thought of Lost in Translation. It's the song Bill Murray sings in karaoke in Lost in Translation. Is it really? When he, he does he butchers it, but it's a beautiful butchering. If you ever have a chance to watch that movie again, remember that part with when Bill Murray's out with um what's her name? Scarlett Johansson and he's like out karaokeing around Tokyo. And it's a yeah. really cool scene when when they sing that song. And it kind of brings back like all the emotions of love. And, you know, in that movie, he was they were strangers kind of looking for a way to save themselves from loneliness. They just trying to spend their time together. Right. I, I can't figure out how this song made its way into the Americans. I just couldn't make it fit. But I loved hearing it. I loved what it made me remember. I guess, if anything, it kind of stood out in counterpoint. It's right at the. I think it's right at the time they go into that lab, go into that lab and take care of that guy, the wheat, the wheat lab guy. Anyway, the it's kind of grateful just to hear it, just to remember that memory. Well, you know, it's got to be period specific. It's got to be really like right that moment, and probably that's the reason why it's in the episode is because it was released that week or something. You know how they love to do that. Um, well, yeah, that part it. syncs up, but the mean, I, I couldn't connect the meaning. I mean, there's lots of cool songs in 1983, 84, but why that one? I don't know. I think it's, um, it's kind of contemplative, like, you know, cause the lyrics are so kind of, I mean, I mean like it really fit, fit, it fit in Lost in Translation perfectly. I couldn't make it fit in this episode of the Americans. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm missing it, but I just, I loved hearing it, but I couldn't see its, its relevance. So if you think about the grander scheme, if you think about like where the show is going, where the show is going, we're in the penultimate season. Um, and, you know, these characters are, it feels like they're in a grind. We didn't enter the grind with them we entered in the middle of a thing, you know, like they are, they were in the middle of a mission, like when we entered the season and, you know, the second to last uh, verse in this song says it was fun for a while. There was no way of knowing like a dream in the night who can say where we're going. No care in the world. Maybe I'm 
learning why the sea on the tide has no way of turning. And it just sounds so kind of like eternal and like what you said, melancholy, which is, it's crazy because like I was saying, the lyrics are so deep, but the song, the tune is actually, to me, it's upbeat and cheerful. So it's just such a great contrast. And maybe that's why they chose it. I don't do know. you think, just, just to analyze the song a little bit, do you think Brian Ferry or Brian Eno, can't remember which one of them wrote it, Brian Ferry sings it for Fine. Roxy yeah. Music. Okay. Uh-huh. Do you think he's remembering a lost love of some sort? Or do you think he's like celebrating a love that he has? I, I kind of take it as he's re- he's remembering something that could have been more than it was. And it wasn't. It didn't fulfill itself. And I don't know. Um, I, I think that you're on to something with that. Um You know, yeah, because there's almost like there's like a finality to that last um, set of of lyrics, like the last few in um, the beginning of the song, the end of the song. Why the sea on the tide has no way of turning. It's like you're in a position where you're stuck. You, You know, there's you don't have an option. You can't really do anything. And why is that? It's philosophical. You know, it's it's waxing kind of existential. Right. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And, yeah. And you, that could be part of it, too, because, you know, maybe the experience that Philip and Elizabeth are having right now, along with Paige, really, is kind of like, you know, is this worth it? Like, what are we in? What is this thing that we're in the middle of and why are we doing it? Yeah, and they took that guy out, that poor guy just running his lab in Oklahoma. They took that guy out. Or like, remember when they took that toy guy out? He had all those toy, little little toy dolls on his desk, and they Philip hung him in his office. And that guy, yeah. I mean, maybe he's just a guy who has a girlfriend that he pines after, and he listens to Roxy music, and now he can't do that anymore. You know, it's like it's like melancholy. It's like I don't know. It's if it's related to that somehow, it's very melancholy. Like. I have I have the need to resolve my loneliness by finding someone I can connect to. Meanwhile, this fucking guy comes into my lab and kills me. Right. What yeah, the hell? exactly. Yeah. So there was Gene. That was that guy, Gene. And, um, you know, then there's this lab dude. And, you know, both of those people were a complete victim of circumstance, which is, you know, what happens a lot with Philip and Elizabeth. You know, these people who's, you know, I mean, the entire point of this series is existential. These people are living something that they struggle with the um, the reason of it and like the, you know, the purpose of it. And that's like that's their major struggle. That's their major tension in in life. But. On, like in contrast, they will not hesitate to take the life, the entire life, with all of that person's struggles and difficulties and dramas and joys and completely snuff it out and take it away from them because it got in their way. I don't know. It's um, It made me kind of hate Philip and Elizabeth a little bit at that point. 
Yeah. The, oh the, God, that was so awful. That guy's never gonna re, never gonna realize the longing and loneliness getting resolved with a, whatever woman or partner he finds. Now he's never gonna find it or whatever. I don't even know. Like I could be married with eight kids, but that feeling of that song kind of imparted that on me that. It's a it's a it's a quest for a connection with somebody, and now that guy, just dead. He's just dead in his lab with all his bugs going around him. It was very it was very maddening to me. It made me angry about whatever Philip and Elizabeth stand for and what they do. Yeah, and I think that was the point, really, because it just doesn't stop. I mean, you know, the last season was very um, sympathetic to our protagonists, particularly to Philip. He struggled so much, you know, with who he is and, you know, why am I doing this kind of stuff last season, really all along in the series. But this season, it feels like they're on the same page and, like, there is no more struggle for them right now. Like, we don't really see that very much we feel it but we don't really see it and we don't feel it as much as as we felt it like last season um i i think it's for a reason but i get it i mean like i think probably there's no one in the audience that wasn't struck by the fact that they just cracked this dude in half right and we're done i don't have it. any sympathy for their cause or them anymore yeah all right, Jamie, 21 minutes in. We haven't done a lick of recap, so we better get started on this. All right. Jamie, have you been tapping your forefinger and thumb together during the week this past week? <laughs> I was kind of doing that little rub, rub, thumb, and forefinger thing together, yeah. Uh, I don't see you doing the rub. I see you doing the Gus Fring tap. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're a focused killer, I can tell. <laughs> I'm an evil genius. All right, Jamie, <laughs> bowling with Tuan and Pasha. Or Tuan and, I don't know, the, the whole family, everybody was there. Yep. Turns out Tuan is a badass bowler, Jamie. He, he can actually toss his ball two lanes over, or so he says, uh, <laughs> and knock over pins. But then he fucks up and drops a gutter ball on us, and we watch him, like, totally fail. Uh-huh. And then we hear later that that was on purpose. Well, maybe. Maybe yeah. it was. Maybe it's just an embellished story, too. Exactly, yeah. But the whole crew is at this outing. Tuan and the Marzovs, the Jennings fake family whose name I still don't know. Yeah. Or uh, it's like, actually, I guess Pasha and the Marzovs and Tuan and the fake Jennings family. There you go. So Dad Marzov, Alexei, relates how they used to bowl back in Gorky Park. And then he goes into another rant about how bad Russia sucks. And uh, All right, so... <laughs> For the first time, I wasn't feeling like, doofus, shut up. Like, for the first time, I was kind of irritated with his wife because she's all, like, mad at him. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, if, like, you knew him before that day, I mean, you've got to know the dude's personality. You've got to, like, you've been in America for a minute. Try to look at it from a different perspective and try to, you know, absorb... But I know that's I know that's not the story, but still, you know, try a little. <laughs> well, at least they gave it a little bit more color. Like Russia sucks because America's so great. We get to go bowling and have wings and beer, well, whatever. 
they made it, they, you know, they colored in his background a little bit by talking about his father, how they took his father away, uh, couldn't have any visitors, and two years later he was just dead. That would make me hate Russia. That's a good reason to hate Russia. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and he explained it. Well, I thought it was, like, really cool, very, very great. And I had to watch that scene over and over again because when the the wife starts talking to him in Russian, you get those really delicious little intercuts where they're showing Philip and Elizabeth who are looking like they're not hearing anything and they don't understand anything of what's being said. But you know they understand every syllable of what is being spoken I enjoyed that. So that took us right up to the credits. We come back. We learn that um, that Alexei Marzov took his family out of Russia without warning. Um, And I guess this is the conversation with Tuan in the car, the Jennings, the fake Jennings, whatever their fake new name is. Talking smack about how – what's it? What's that? I was going to say that's why the wife was so angry with him because he didn't tell them, you know, and he was saying like – I couldn't tell you, like, I couldn't tell you anything. And then, you know, he explained to Philip and Elizabeth that, you know, their experiences were different. Like growing up, his and his wife, they had an experiential sort of, you know, departure. And, you know, and then that's when he told the story about his dad, that his dad was taken away and, you know, they, it was however long before they knew that he was incarcerated. And then they let them stay, the mother and the son, like the, the guy and his mom, for two days before they would let, you know, the, before they said they, that they could speak with um, his dad. And then that was only to tell him that, tell them that their dad couldn't have visitors, his dad couldn't have visitors. And then after that, he was dead. And you know, at 15 years, I think they said, like, he was incarcerated there before he finally died. It's just tragic and horrible. And, you know, that's why he is the way he is. That's why he hates the Soviet Union. Soviet. So, Philip and Elizabeth get to the garage and have their garage talk. <clears throat> they talk about how their exit from Russia was different than Alexa, Alexei's Rush, Russian exit. Uh-huh. And um, Elizabeth says, Tuan was right. He should be shot, that fucker. Yeah. Right. So they, they wonder about Paige and Matthew, and Philip says she can't handle this. And he's right, Jamie. Paige is a loose cannon on the deck of this ship here. Well, what he was saying was, he said, no, what he said was, we should tell Paige about this operation. She can handle this. Like, he was saying... You know, this is better than the Matthew bullshit that she's going through. Let's give her this to chew on. (laughs) I thought he said she can't handle this, and I agree that she can't handle it. She can't handle anything. But, no, he was saying let's tell her, and that's why they did tell her. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess you may be right because he suggests talking to her about their operation, and Elizabeth's the one that says, I don't know. I don't know if we should do that. But they do end up sharing it with her. Yeah. And they tell her about the plan to destroy the wheat supply. Tell her all about Mazeltov or Mazelov, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And Paige starts to ask some interesting questions, Jamie. How do, you, how do you know you can trust him? And Elizabeth answers her. I, I don't know. Paige still seems super naive in this conversation. I guess she's only, what, 17 or 18? 
Yeah, she's like probably 17. But how do you know you can trust him? Elizabeth says we get a sense from people. We get kind of sense if we can trust them. And Paige says, what if they call the police? <laughs> and Philip says, we don't tell them our real names. They think I'm a pilot. I don't know. She seems super naive still. Yeah, okay. So I buy it, though. I buy her being naive about it because she's all like, is this even real kind of, you know? And then also because she's, you know, she's innocent, really. So I, I buy it, although it's kind of tiring. It is kind of tiring, huh? Like either be a damn spy or not. Be a, be a right. spy or turn them in. Do something. In or out. Get the hell in or get the hell out. <laughs> right. And what about Pastor Tim? What's he doing this whole time? He knows about all this bullshit. I don't know, but we need to catch up with Pastor Tim, find out what he's doing. I want to see some murderous solutions to these loose ends. <laughs> all right. Including Paige if they have to. <laughs> anyway, Philip gives himself a stare down in the mirror. Did you catch this, Jamie? What's he? What was he thinking? What was he remembering back in Russia? The, some sort of poverty. Yeah, I feel like that was really disjointed. I don't feel like it was really a part of the episode. Kind of, it was really weird. I'm assuming that was his mom that he was seeing in there, and that his dad is like, you know, in the cracked mirror or some crap. I don't know, but I, I thought it was. I thought it was kind of weird. That's like the best thing I can say about it. Did you like this episode? I loved this episode. I thought it was a really great episode. Well, not loved, but I really liked it. Um, There were so many things that were good about it. I was upset that I didn't get to see much of Stan or anything of Stan, actually. But I was happy because I got to see Oleg and um, the other people who were in Russia who we'll talk about when we get there. Um, and so that was really good. And I feel like there were, there were parts of page that I actually enjoyed. Um, because I don't know, I think I, I liked, I enjoyed the conversation that she had with her mom, like toward the end of the show. Okay. So I liked that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, I, I could have stood for a little bit more science, um, science. Yeah, <laughs> science. <laughs> Was it poetry in motion? <laughs> she blinded me. <laughs> All right, well, we see Oleg walking to work. He passes a bunch of people. Each appear, Jamie, to be ready to murder him. As we see in every scene, we see Oleg walking around in the dark. <clears throat> he looks like he's in a, he looks like he's amongst a mob of people ready to kill him. But he goes to a market and asks for the boss, and a beautiful woman comes out, and he's checking up on her. He's checking on the business. How does she get her products? Mm -hmm. Um, And then he checks her tangerines, and she has them because she spots good bargains and good buys. Right. That's not the case. Oleg is, like, justifiably suspicious here that she's paying somebody off. Yeah, that was crazy. So, but when he walked to the grocery store, I couldn't help but anticipate that he was walking and taking a specific path so that he could run into whoever left him the note, like whoever gave him the note. And of course he didn't run into that person. And we find out more about that later, 
but he runs into the grocery store lady. He asks for her specifically and then gives her, you know, a list of questions um, that cause her to respond in a particular way. And he doesn't buy her bullshit. And um, she's all like, bullshit. you like some tangerines? Huh? I said bullshit. That's right. I like how he, <laughs> I like how he implores her to just give. Come on, tell me the truth, baby, because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't like threaten her. He he implores her to tell the truth. Right. She and just plays not... coy, but he wants her to like. Come on, other people aren't getting enough food, baby. You got all these nice tangerines. Right. <laughs> but she gives him silence. All she that's all she gives him. Tries to buy him off of some tangerines at the end, but he shuts that down. Yep. Take this five-gallon bag of tangerines, lady. <laughs> I mean, sir. <laughs> lady. All right. He goes to another store, and he passes our old pal Martha, Jamie. I know. Well, okay, so that was the store, right? Like, he came out of the back, and he's leaving, and he's, like, walking through the aisles. And then lady in the scarf who looks like an old Russian chick, Martha. <laughs> what a fucked up deal that is from cool DC to one on the one item on the shelf Russia. I know. <laughs> what was she looking at? It looked like she was looking at like a roll of toilet paper. Like, is this really worth eighteen dollars? Or... You don't you don't consider purchases of toilet paper, right? You don't you just throw it in your bag and buy it. Mike, I swear sometimes the stuff you say. Oh, God. Okay, so I loved that because she looked appropriately miserable. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, she also looked kind of like there was something else going on there. So I don't know. Maybe Martha's a spy now. Yeah, is this an entree to Martha being a part of the ending plot? We only have... You know, not much longer in this whole story. Is she part of the end or is this just a, okay, this is what happened to Martha and now we're done with her? No, we can't do that. We got to be introducing Martha. All right. Chekhov's Martha. <laughs> That's what Alan Sepinwall called her. Chekhov's Martha. Seriously. <laughs> I like that. All right. Next we see pilot Philip and Tuan. Tuan. This is Pasha more. His his whole style, his clothing, his food. And then Philip tells him about his hungry father, how he was always hungry. Yeah, I had a feeling that we're going to be calling Tuan Tuan the murderer by the time the season's over because he's just like bloodthirsty for Pasha. Yeah, it's too over the top. He's got to be he's got to be over the top like Hans was and he's going to paint himself into a corner he can't get out of. Mm-hmm. All right, we go to uh, some restaurant called Mike's Place. Stan and Adderhall go in, and they meet who? Antoli? Who was uh, that guy? Was he the guy that um, – some guy worked for Aeroflot? I couldn't remember that guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember his name. Anatoly? Yeah, Anatoly. Okay. He walks out, and Adderhall sneak bites his food. Yeah, I I like it that Adderholt is back. You know, that makes me happy. That's the second, hey, you're not going to eat that, are you, in the last two episodes. Yes. Because Tuan did it with the Jennings last episode in the car. You're not going to eat that doggy bag. And now 
Aderholt's doing it. What the hell? Is it about how, how if you're hungry in America, it's easy to just like, hey, somebody left a whole plate of food. I can just eat it versus Russia well, where you're just hungry. You know what? I'll tell you something, Mike. You might be onto something because, you know, then you have that scene that's contrasted where um, Tuan is saying, like, I used to eat out of the garbage. I Like, you know, every day I would eat from the garbage because my family was dead. And some days I ate nothing. But the days I got food, it was from the garbage. And so you might be onto something there, Mike. Okay, next scene, Gabriel meets Philip and Elizabeth and tells them that the bug was a cryptic species. Previously unidentified, Jamie, an Australian crop-slaying midge. Uh-huh. A murderous midge from Australia. Sent from Australia straight to Oklahoma. Yeah. Could be used to yeah. attack grain shipments or the Russian harvest. So it could either be used to ruin the grain shipments in the U.S. before they go out to Russia or be imported into Russia to attack their grain harvest. Yep. And they tell right. Gabriel that they told Paige all about it. And Gabriel says, good idea. <laughs> Although I don't know if he was sincere about that. It's kind of water uh, under the bridge, and he had to say, oh, good, good, good plan. Like, he couldn't criticize it because it was already done. Right, and then, you know, Gabriel is like that. He's so slick, so you never know with him. All right, so next scene, Matthew and Paige are together now, and they're talking about the Andrea Jim girl. And uh, Paige shuts down on Matthew, so maybe she is listening to her mom and dad. She shuts him down and bails on him. Yeah, well, they show, yeah, because, like, he's like, oh, what's up, little baby? And she's like, uh, thumb, forefinger, thumb, forefinger, gotta go. <laughs> was she doing that? I didn't catch her. I didn't see it. Was you think she was doing yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, they showed a little shot of her, like, doing it under the table. Oh, right on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he offers to help with homework or something. She's like, nope, gotta go. Yep, gotta get out, man. And then she gets home and talks to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, we're going to Oklahoma City tomorrow. It's almost like going from Atlanta to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I heard that from Jamie on the West Coast Project podcast. No, <laughs> she says, we're going to Oklahoma tomorrow. And it does look like they're driving all this, Jamie, because all we see is a pickup truck on the road. Mm. Um, and Paige relates, I had an awful conversation with Matthew. He's asking too much. I used the, th- the thumb technique, and it was easy, but it's gross. So she doesn't like the what the manipulation of it or the impersonal aspects of it. Well, what she said was, um, "I lied to him like it was nothing, and it felt gross." She doesn't like to lie, and that's like a part of who Paige is because she's had a problem with lying ever since her mother first tried to get her to lie. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just sounds so absurd coming out of my mouth. But, you know, that's what it is. Like, you know, Elizabeth needs her to, you know, be like, yeah, <laughs> up is down. Well, then Elizabeth says, you know, yeah, relationships are complicated. You hold back. Everybody does it. Like, so do you think she does it with Philip? Um, Elizabeth to Philip holds back what she doesn't think he needs to hear. Well, I think everybody does that. You're not going to buy think, into that, too, are you? Jamie. Well, okay. All right. So, all right. So, I will tell you this. Um, I think 
that there is some truth to that because like for example um all right so if you're a person who i don't know you have like body odor or something right and but you're not gonna like just be all like on your date like yeah, when I don't, you know, take a shower for two days or something, I smell like a locker room. You're going to break that out slowly. <laughs> That's not what she's talking about, though. She's like, if you need to hold something back so that you have an advantage, then you hold it back. Everybody does. She's not being, it's not like wow, the hygiene thing. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, but I'm saying like, she's trying to equivocate. Of course she is. And she's trying to minimize what it is that she's actually, the, the huge freaking thing that she's actually asking of Paige. And I think Elizabeth is actually warped because of everything that she has, you know, been through at a young age, at a formative time, she was taught to be a liar. And so for her, it feels natural, you know? Yeah, she's warped as fuck. You know, what she should say is, hey, honey, relationships are complicated. The best thing you can do is be honest. Not right. you, hold, you hold back. Everybody does it. Don't worry about it. Everybody yeah. does it. That's right. You're right. And But she equivocates with no freaking problem. And that's one of the things that is so annoying to us, but that makes Elizabeth one of the most complex characters that you find because she clearly loves her family. She clearly loves her children. She's clearly an idealist and an ideologue and how you could be so fucked up when you are that person who's just like made to be, you know, like the perfect citizen. I don't know, but she lives in the gray and she proudly walks it with no problem whatsoever. She has no issue with being a liar. Look at that. I mean, Think about it, because since the, the dawn of this series, of all the characters, Elizabeth has never struggled with lying. But the only time it's ever really, really, we've ever seen anything get to her was last season. Well, or the dawn, the poor dawn of the series, that guy, she screwed that guy over. Which guy? Dawn and the... And the wife that Oh he... Don. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I'm talking about Don Don and um his wife. I can't think of her name right now. But yeah, those are the people I'm thinking of about last season, the like how she lied um to them and it bothered her, you know, for once. But ordinarily Elizabeth has no issue with that. She's more than happy to just lay it on thick and, you know, just tell anybody what she has to, you know, to get the job done. I don't know, Jamie. I might be just pulling for new Hans Swan now to take out the whole, take out everybody. <laughs> All right. All right, Misha, Misha now in Yugoslavia. I don't even know why this is part of the story. I don't really care if he makes it to America. I don't know why he's after meeting Philip again. But he's going through the motions. He's going into Yugoslavia looking for his next stop, his next connection. Some guy named Luka Jovanovic. Yep. People tell um, him Luka doesn't live here anymore. And uh, some guy finds him and asks him for the letter. I don't know, letter of passage, letter of introduction or something. Mm-hmm. But before we get to the resolution of that, we go to Oklahoma City, Jamie. 
driving in the white truck, no planes, no airplanes. Mm-hmm. It's Tex Phillip and Dolly Parton Elizabeth. Right. What did you think of them in their Western gear? I liked her wig. Yeah, she was uh, queen of the rodeo. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty natural for them. Um, I don't know. It was weird. It seemed nice. And, you know, the in the scene where they're wearing, you know, their Western clothes and they have that moment where they kind of embrace and they kind of dance a little bit and they kiss, it took me completely out of the story. Like, it broke my suspension of disbelief because for a second I was like, oh, wow, they're a real couple. <laughs> yeah, a little nice. urban cowboy. It was, a, it was a nice little break from the spidum yeah. of this episode. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to jump back to Yugoslavia and Misha and this buddy Luca. Um, Misha... Meets some guy, it's not Luca, but the guy tells him Luca was arrested. And Misha needs to get to Austria. I guess that's the next stop on his sojourn back to the U.S. He needs money. Uh, Misha shows him his money, I guess. And the guy pulls a frickin' Jane Jetson on him and takes the whole wallet and leaves him the dollar. Or ruble or whatever. Remember that on the Jetsons where... She would ask George for some money, and he would hold out his wallet, and she would take the whole wallet and leave him the one dollar. <laughs> yeah. And then the guy starts to rummage through all his gear. What the hell, dude? Show yeah, a little restraint. Dude, he did. I mean, like he did. It was so awful. Like he was just like, "Yeah, this is mine now." You know. All right. So we now we get to see this hotel scene you're talking about. Dolly Parton, Liz, and Philip in the hotel. Uh, Philip comments that the land here in Oklahoma, Jamie, looks like home. There's a yes. sad cowboy song in the background, and Elizabeth wants to be queen of the rodeo. And in the in the, I think imp- it's important that there's some humor here because the romance of her coming on to Philip here was kind of needed, I think, to lighten the mood in this whole episode. Yeah, I agree. So they two-step and dance a little bit. I don't know if that's the two-step, but they kind of hug and make out. That was kind of a cool scene. Yeah. All right, Stan and Adderholt now back with, uh, what's his name? The guy taking a leak. Was Now, who is this guy? I don't... Pierogi or pierogi or whatever. <laughs> they want to know about Amtork, some company Amtork, and he just leaves without telling them anything. Yeah, so this is the stakeout guy from last episode, remember? They saw him. We didn't see him, but they saw him, like, when they were staking out, and they saw him leaving or going back into a building or something. That's this dude. What's his gig, though? What's he doing? We don't know yet. Oh, come on. I don't know. (laughs) All right, Oleg back in the dark streets, crossing paths with a guy, tells him he missed a meeting. Uh, yeah, Oleg. like Oleg was pissed because, you know, when Oleg was walking, I think that Oleg was trying to do that meeting at that time when he was walking through the park earlier, trying to go to the grocery store to meet that lady and question her. I think that's he was trying to meet in the in the in the park then. He was just trying to cross paths with that guy again. Uh huh. Could be. He, he reads the map and plays a cassette tape. Um. And that's about it for that. And they go back to Oklahoma City, jumping around like the Americans often does. 
And is this Alan Strider, this FBI guy again with the binoculars? I'm not. The first guy, this black guy, Alan Strider, that was in. What's oh yes, 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 yes. All right. So then Philip and Elizabeth, they're at the where they're at the. Um, I don't know what you call it, scientific lab or warehouse or bug house. But Philip and Elizabeth go in amongst all the insects, moths and midges. And I got to call it a bug warehouse. It looked like each little section had a different kind of bug or moth or something. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, it was a lab. It was a bug lab. And they get a warning from their spotter. Now, who the hell is she? Have we seen her before? Nope. Uh, they cross paths with some dude who gets his spine adjusted pretty soon, but his name's Randy Chilton. He's the director of Wheat, wheat Eating Bugs. Talk about another meaning for crack my back. Yeah, really. Usually that feels good, but not that time. Yeah. Well, you learned the plan, though. They're going to deliver eggs and not bugs to Russia, the eggs of the bugs. Mm-hmm. All right, Jamie, then we hear our very extremely cool Roxy Music mu- music. More than this. Um, I don't know. It just fit. It fit as a great song of 1980, early 83, 84, but couldn't fit it into the episode. Hmm. But um, I don't know. I really liked hearing it and what it made me remember, especially what it made me remember at Lost in Translation. That is such an awesome movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, and then Seppenwall said, and I didn't catch it, but he says it was playing in the bowling alley, too, earlier. I didn't hear it. I didn't remember hearing it. Uh, I don't remember hearing it in the bowling alley, either. Might be worth a rewatch. Yeah. So Tex Phillip goes out and asks the spotter chick if she's okay. And I guess she is. And then they leave it. The episode ends, Jamie, with, should we tell Paige about this? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. Like you don't tell Paige about that. That's that's you need to keep that one. You know how Elizabeth said you, some things you keep for yourself. Well, keep that one for yourself. Guess so. I guess that's the convenience of having that kind of a policy is you can decide what you share and what you don't. That's right, <laughs> Jimmy. I believe in honesty. I think it's all should be open. <laughs> You think they should tell Paige? Don't eye roll me when I say I believe in honesty. <laughs> All right, Mike. Yeah, I guess Paige makes it complicated. You can't tell a freaking 18-year-old everything. She'll go off the, off the deep end. Yeah, she's a little still. Well, they brought her into this mess. Like, you know, maybe you should tell her everything. I hope for the best. I know, that's rough, man. I don't know how you make that choice. Right, so Jamie. I got to tell you, go ahead. Wait, hold, I got to tell you what I did, and we can talk about it next time. But I looked up um, about the um, the the intro to the show. So remember how we've gone back and forth about that? And um, when I was watching it this week, for some reason, I got kind of stuck on the the Cyrillic characters that are there for like a millisecond on everybody's name before they get overlain by the English. And I found this really cool um, article um, that was written by this guy who who, um, interviewed the animator who actually created the the introduction for uh, this series for um, the Americans. It turns out 
that he is from a group of people who created the opening sequences for Game of Thrones and Masters of Sex and True Detectives, while also um, the Americans. This guy's name is John Forsman. And I found a really cool um, interview with him. And um, I'll post it on Wish I Said That Shit. And we could talk about it maybe next time. Um, because we went back and forth so much last season just trying to decide what we thought about the opening sequence. So now I've got some background on it. Okay. That'd be interesting to hear about. We hear more about. Pretty cool. All right, Jamie. So next week, 504, what's the matter with Kansas? Sounds like a great episode. I'm looking forward to it. This was um, our playwright Tracy Scott Wilson's episode this week, The Midges. Um, I thought it was great, really well written, and I'm looking forward to next week's episode. So it looks like they're working their way west because they were in, well, I don't know how, how west. So so Illinois, Oklahoma, Kansas. I think that's going west, although Oklahoma it and is. Kansas are pretty close together. It, yeah, it, but it's still, you're right, there's a westward westward movement. All right, Jamie, so shouldiwishisaid.com, is that the right URL? Wish, wish I said that shit. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> shit. I wish that I said was getting, is getting massive traffic from our mistakes. Wish I said right. that shit.com. Mm-hmm. And what about your Twitter? At word girly. And I'm at scathing tweets. Sounds. Hey, hey Jamie, I'm going to play Roxy music on the way out. Sounds Just good. cause it's cool. Go on to YouTube and watch that Bill Murray scene of him singing it in Lost in Translation. It's it's awesome. I'm going to do that right now. Mike. Just the way he looks at Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. She looks at, maybe the way she looks at him. Like, he's like, this is really hard. He says something like that. This is hard. Because he's singing karaoke in front of, like, all these Japanese people. It's awesome. It's on YouTube to catch it, though. Watch it. It's a, it's a heart. You'll, it'll squeeze your heart. Okay. All right, man. See you next week on What's the Matter with Kansas. All right, cool. See you then, Mike. See you, Jamie. You know